Welcome to Five Books for Catholics, where an expert selects and explains five outstanding books on some aspect of Catholic life, doctrine, or culture. Instructing Christ's disciples in the faith is a constitutive activity of the Church. From the outset, a Greek word for instruction, catechesis, was used to designate this activity. More recently, St. John Paul II, in his Apostolic Exhortation, Catechesi Tradende, has defined catechesis as the teaching of Christian doctrine imparted, generally speaking, in an organic and systematic way, with a view to initiating the hearers into the fullness of Christian life. Since the Church Fathers, the fundamental structure and pillars of catechesis have been instruction on the creed, the sacraments, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer. No Catholic, therefore, can afford to be indifferent to catechesis. Every Catholic needs it, and many are called to impart it. In this interview, Dr. Patrick Wiley will recommend and discuss five books in catechetics. Patrick Wiley is married to Catherine and has four children and six grandchildren, one of whom is in heaven. Originally from England, he has lived in Steubenville, Ohio since 2015, where he is a professor of theology at Franciscan University. Before his move to the United States, he worked in Catholic education in Oxford and in Birmingham for more than 25 years. He taught in seminary and lay institutions in the United Kingdom and in both traditional and distance education. He was appointed by Pope Benedict XVI, a consultant for the Pontifical Council for the Promotion of the New Evangelization, and by Pope Francis as a consultant to the Dicastery for Evangelization. Professor Welly, welcome. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. First of all, in a few words, what is catechesis? You chose a a really good um, extract there from John Paul. And um, I think it's helpful today to remember another thing he also said, which is in his exhortation, Catechesi Tridende, in the first paragraph, that it's everything we mean today by the making of a disciple. Um, And I say that because uh, the instruction is clearly um, a large part of it. And it can help to realize, if you like, the breadth it's uh, gained within the tradition of the church. In other words, if we think of it today as something like formation, uh, even if we begin to look at how the church has formed people, you spoke about those four areas as Formation slightly more akin to almost how one would receive it, maybe in a religious community. Um, The church has always seen catechesis as a prime activity for bringing people into that life in Christ. And that in all the different dimensions which you mentioned. So it's instruction in the faith, instruction for the sake of life in Christ. Uh, and in all those different dimensions of the faith as well. Many associate catechesis, however, with the religious instruction of children. However, the primary form, according to the Church's documents, is adult catechesis, 
so how should we address the situation where many adults spend a lot of time, money and effort learning profi- professional skills? We don't make a comparable investment in something that's infinite more, infinitely more important for the long-term happiness, learning the faith. It's a, a good point you've raised there. And um, I think it's helpful to think that the catechesis of children and catechesis of adults are in a way two sides of the same coin. And that if we want good catechesis of children, in a way it makes sense to say we've got to have good catechesis of adults as well, because only adults can form children. Uh, So one of the ways to look at that is simply to say, um, we need to give a certain priority to adult formation because everybody is called to grow up into the maturity of Christ and well-formed adults enable children to do that. If um, And I think what the church is feeling today is that if we neglect to bring children all the way through in terms of their formation, in terms of their age, they can so easily become a prey to secularism, um, to a culture which is largely, especially in the West, in Europe, um, to some extent in the United States, not necessarily everywhere else, uh, but has, as it were, moved away from the sense of society as the place of the sacred. And without meaning to, adults um, imbibe a fairly secularist mentality. I know because I was a convert to the faith myself, so I was received into the church in 1985 in my mid-20s. And although I've been raised as a Christian, I think it's a bit like the parable of the the, um, the seed and the tares sown at the same time. You have a lot in your soil. And as you as you grow up, you don't necessarily distinguish between the two. So there needs to be a constant um, emphasis and energy devoted towards ongoing formation for adults so that we can continue that work of, if you like, sowing the good seed. So I would have I think that in my own life, it's probably about 10 years. It took me 10 years to to realize how many secularist views I just had. I'd simply received almost without question um, so that the gospel seemed on some levels almost incredible. Now, if one recognizes that, that can become a great point of conversion. But you can see that the point you're making there, that uh, the church is re-emphasizing the need for a formation for adults is really important in the light of the fact that so much in our society now is presuming a world without God, is presuming a world without grace, without Jesus Christ, and so on. And to some extent, the work of a catechist is to remind people of the essential truths by which they can be shaped in their lives. So, One of the first things that happened in the more modern age was the restoration of the um, order for Christian initiation of adults. That was in the early 1970s. 
And that was a recognition that we really need to see ourselves not as living in cultures where the faith is just handed down and received almost accidentally and naturally, because that isn't really happening now. In fact, there are militant tendencies to prevent that happening. And so we need to have that restoration of how do we bring adults into the faith through a a period of serious and long-term and sustained formation. So that was, if you like, the Second Vatican Council relaunched the church fairly officially back into let's remember the adults and that kind of period. Now, we have huge um, resources invested in forming children, and that's obviously important. And what we can't do in the church, and this is more difficult once one's institutionalized something, what one can't afford to do is to neglect the adult formation. And that does involve hard choices of shifting resources to the adults and making sure in particular that parents are well formed for the sake of their children as well as for their own sake. I don't know if that's a bit of an answer in terms of that question. And the 20th century witnessed the flourishing of studies on catechetics. For example, there's the work in the first half of the 20th century of Josef Andreas Jungmann. Uh, But during the post-conciliar period, there was a crisis. How did we get into that crisis and have we emerged from it or are we still in it? So, yes, 20th century. I think one of the things to remember is um, Pope Benedict's very helpful phrase about the hermeneutic of continuity and development. There really wasn't, it wasn't that Vatican II produced a break. There was a whole series of um, interesting catechetical renewal running right the way through the 20th century. And you've mentioned Jungmann, um, who was instrumental in leading something called the charismatic renewal. And the charismatic renewal is really um, coming back to an emphasis on what we now often call initial proclamation. In other words, as well as explaining the faith, as well as teaching the faith, there needs to be a confident um, proclamation of it. Uh, The word comes from herald. So a herald going into a town or a village, you know, in olden days and, you know, roll, you know, rolling down his script and saying, this is the order of the king and this is the announcement I have to make. And so the kerygma is the basic good news of the gospel, of the basic truths of the faith. And Jungmann very much said we need to begin with that kind of confident proclamation of essentials and allow our exposition and explanations flow from that. So he'd been working on that, especially drawing on the patristic period and the very early church period. And back in England, uh, where I was from, there was another figure called Canon Drinkwater, who was also seeing that we needed to renew, um, if you like, the penny catechism method without losing everything that was good about it also surrounded by a lot more culturally uh, and a lot more educationally to help this be received well by people. So there were lots of different strands, especially in Europe, trying to bring about that renewal. 
Now, the Second Vatican Council, it's one of those um, moments, I suppose, one can expect where the church making a sort of decision universally to recommit itself to mission um, had the tears sown at the same time. And the tears, by and large, came into the church at this point alongside the council through what are called international study weeks on catechetics. The first of these, so alongside we've got the council at 62 to 65, um, as I say, very much centering itself on the universal call to holiness, uh, re deciding that um, the sharing of the gospel with a new emphasis and impetus um, should flow from personal and ecclesial holiness of all people and that lay people should really pick up that as the great badge of their membership and their baptism. Alongside this, we had, OK, how do we then renew catechesis? And a group of international experts began to meet outside of the council, but during that period in the 60s. And the first meeting was in 1960. The Eichstatt um, Declaration came out of it and very much committed the church to the charismatic renewal. There were a series of other meetings that took place. And what the proceedings of those show is that gradually this group over this decade, this next decade, gradually moved to a much more anthropocentric focus, uh, far more emphasis, if you like, I mean, picking up the need that we should engage with human experience, but very much beginning to neglect the primacy of revelation. This meant that as, as it were, we emerged from the council, we emerged from it within a categorical context, which was already beginning to minimize the grace and the power of revelation and all of the work of the council in De Verbum renewing the whole church teaching on revelation for example Lumen Gentium renewing the sense of mission and evangelization and the different documents that flowed from that the renewal of the liturgy providing all the grace we need and Gaudium Espes really pulling us to um, dialogue with the modern world, but for the sake of its evangelization. This went into a kind of a mixed economy, uh, which had another set of priorities beginning to emerge, which were much more anthropocentric. So this produced what we call the crisis in catechesis. Um, in England, for example, there was set up a single institution for disseminating the work of the council it was called corpus christi and it were it very much led uh, the priest sisters and lay people who attended it down a route which um, minimized the role of the supernatural um, minimized the power of the resurrection of miracles divinity of christ all those things which we associate now with if you like the crisis in catechesis 
And so to some extent, the way in which the council began to be disseminated was through a lens with whatever mixture of culpability and ignorance, you know, we need not sort of discuss at this point, which meant that the council's work itself was diluted and that that whole impetus towards strengthening catechesis for the sake of mission was to some extent confused. And we lived through that period. So I came into the church in 1985, very much in the middle of that. Um, with Paul VI, we immediately began to see an attempt to pull that back with his issuing of the Credo of the People of God in 1968, um, his evangelization in the modern world, his kind of refocusing us on evangelization. Uh, and then, obviously, John Paul's great work, Catechese Tridende, which really kind of solidified the magisterial voice on this. But by this time, a lot of strands had run off down their own tracks. Um, and there, there was an attempt, a, a great attempt needed at um, gathering, gathering the church's energies back together again. And that's the phrase John Paul uses in a work called Redemptoris Missio. He said, I sense the time has come to gather all the church's energies for mission because they were scattered. Um, we've been so fortunate because of God's providence that we had the Paul VI, John Paul I, II, Benedict period as a kind of a real gathering period, I think, uh, an attempt at consolidation but not in a narrow sense or a uh, a sense which tried to be something which was um, nostalgic in any way but was genuinely trying to pick up the the uh, spirituality of the second vatican council for mission in the in the context of holiness um, and obviously the church has poured her energies enormously into the work of catechesis since then. So it's been one of the, what we say, the hot topics in the church ever since then. Are we still in the crisis? I think we very definitely are. Uh, but those periods of the church have enabled a stability and a set of expectations to emerge about what catechesis is. And a common language has been recovered. And so there's a wonderful amount of really good working catechesis going on now. So we can really thank God for that. And which um, catechesis takes place in all sorts of settings within the family, the school, the parish, ecclesial movements, chaplaincies, books, websites. People of every age and situation are catechized. However, we live in an increasingly secularized society. What are going to be the main forms of catechesis in the foreseeable future? It, you, we so much want to say everything all the time, don't we? Yes. You know, all those, all those that we've listed. And um, there's, there's a few points probably of priority, I would say. Let me just say a few points. One is um, books. And I, I say that partly because, I mean, you're interested in discussing what my favorite books are. But and obviously you're interested in books and I can see all the bookshelves behind you. 
And um, but we are in a culture which has which has been built to some extent on on kind of a civilization of the word. Which is found in the book. And there's so much research around now about the way in which virtual learning, for example, fragments the mind. Um, there are universities and schools we know which try to exclude as far as possible the use of Internet learning just in order to enable the human mind to assimilate better. And books, I think, are really key to helping us be well formed. Alongside books, uh, it's people. And um, the church has always said you cannot really do without the personal witness figure, the personal teacher figure, the mentor figure. It uses uh, words like apprenticeship all the time, really to reinforce the importance of a personal transmission. <clears throat> now, where I think the church is always going to say we kind of give a primacy to that, probably is the family. And so family-based catechesis is always going to be important. And for that reason, the strengthening of marriage uh, and the strengthening of wider family bonds is always a prerequisite for good catechesis because it's the teaching and example of both father and mother and again all the research shows this which really helps children receive the faith well and becomes the natural context and culture within which formation takes place some countries very much it still works for them the school system um uh increasingly i think the parish community has become the place the church has said we need to really think about that as a kind of an ongoing place for catechesis and one of the points to which both john paul and benedict uh pointed was we're going to increasingly have small intentional christian communities of different sorts where people uh, band together, um, not necessarily in an ad hoc way, but or in an improvised way, but in creative new patterns where we make decisions that we're in formation together. So it's always with other people, um, but it helps to have parishes broken down into smaller units. It helps to have young adult groups meeting these kind of settings as well. Um, are going to become increasingly important, partly because some of the larger institutions um, with that drive towards secularism you've mentioned have become less uh, useful for providing a this formative approach. Uh, so if one wants to go for formation as well as just instruction, one needs uh, common ways of life to surround catechesis with liturgy involved, uh, with sacramental grace involved, uh, and they're not always provided in the larger institutions. So that's that's my kind of short answer. And how would you sum up your own experience as a catechist and the lessons you've learned from it? 
I suppose I've um, gradually realized that catechesis, being a catechist, uh, well, first of all, we mentioned families, so parents are catechists. Um, but being a catechist um, is a huge grace because it's only through trying to hand something on that you actually learn it yourself. And so one of the things I suppose I've learned is where I try to think everything I'm learning is for the sake of somebody else who I need to give it to. And um, that becomes a kind of life as an adventure because you're receiving something. It's difficult to understand. It's a church teaching. Maybe you struggle with yourself, uh, maybe in terms of understanding or of life. But you know you need to receive it because somebody else needs to have that from you. So I think it's it's a wonderful way of life because it constantly is pushing you towards um, ongoing growth yourself and conversion in the Christian life. And here I've it's a great grace to be involved in the work of catechesis, as I know you must think as well, Father, you know, being a priest. Because you see God's grace and the Holy Spirit working so powerfully in other people's lives as they receive the message and they're changed by it. Um, one of the things John Paul said was if catechesis is done well, then everything else in life is much easier. And I certainly can testify that to the extent that if if somebody receives catechesis well, their life as a Christian becomes so much easier because their understanding of what they're doing and why they're doing it immediately follows. And also the receiving of any um, piece of saving doctrine involves a good conversion in oneself. And so receiving doctrine helps you all the time so i suppose catechesis is a great good uh, it has been in my life and the efforts that are put into it are always rewarded and not least in seeing how other people uh, can receive something good as we hand it on and you've mentioned the importance of books as a vehicle for transmitting or imparting catechesis and also the primacy of the family Mm-hmm. What book would you recommend if you were to recommend one book to the general parent who's not a specialist in catechetics? Which book would you recommend? Okay. Well, which couple I of books? I, no, no, no. Sure. If I was if I was a parent now, I think I would probably recommend that they read either. The compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, or that they read the first volume of the UCAT series. Um, both of those are very readable. They're in question and answer form, and we might think, oh gosh, this is going back to an old method I thought we got rid of. Uh, in fact, though, parents of today, they've never been exposed to a question and answer catechism, so they kind of don't have a baggage about that. But the point about the question and answer, uh, Pope Benedict says in his introduction to the compendium, 
uh, is that it's it's showing you that you learn your catechesis with somebody. And think of this, he said, as a dialogue between two people in which one person is trying to help the other learn the faith. The compendium is a very abbreviated form of the magnificent volume of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And it contains, if you like, the essence of saving doctrine. And so this is something and it's got um, 14 works of glorious sacred art. In it as well. And Pope Benedict said the way in which people will receive the faith today is through beauty and saints. Beauty is kind of expressed in those works of art. People might find other ones that they prefer. But the idea is that art is something that can remind you that the faith is something beautiful to behold. It's something attractive. It's something that draws us. And. The saints piece, beauty and the saints, is that as well as the saints in the church, it is, if you like, the witness of the parent themselves called to be a saint of God. And that the combination of providing an entry point to the faith, which is attractive and attractive, especially through the love of the parent for his or her children, is going to become the most formative of all the influences in that child's life. So I think the compendium will give the parents, if you like, the security of knowing what the faith is. It will give them that methodology of beauty and saints. It will call them to think it's going to matter how I live and how I hand it on. And let me be the person to know this faith myself and hand it on in an appropriate way to my children. Um, and it's very readable, very easy. It's just over 500 questions. It's a slim little volume. UCAT as well um, is written for the sort of 18 to 35 year old group modeled on the compendium, but in a slightly more youthful language. And so, again, very, very attractive, uh, very accessible. So I'd say go start with one of those. The books you some of the books you recommend, such as the Catechism in Theology and Sanity, give an overview of the faith. They present the content of catechesis. Others are on the principles of catechesis. Some people, however, might have been expecting books of a more practical orientation. Ones that give tips, stories, group activities to follow with a particular group of people. So are not books of this practical orientation what the expiring catechist really needs rather than all this theoretical stuff? I'm just playing the devil's advocate here. Oh, no, no, you're, you're fine, Father. And... Um... We are all looking for that combination of the practical. And it's not that the. Well, let's 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 start maybe with a bit of defense of and it's not so much theory, I'd say, but a defense of the principles. And that is that the person of the catechist. Is. Is the most important. Vehicle for the transmission of the faith. And so if we're to think, uh, I wonder which books I need now as a catechist, I need books which will form me. One of the helpful images, I think, which was given to us by Bernard of Clairvaux, um, was a contrast he made between thinking of pastoral work in the church 
as a bit like a hose pipe where if you like all of the things we have in us and all of the grace we've received we kind of just aim like a hose and it kind of goes through us and sort of floods the room and you know everybody receives it and he said a lot of people think of if you like i just have to get something which i hand on immediately um but the way in which god intends to hand on the faith through us is in and through the benefit which the faith gives to us as the ones who receive it as the catechists who will transmit it in other words we're not going to be excluded from god's grace and bernard really encouraged us to focus upon um, trusting that god wanted us to receive the truths um, in a way john paul uses the idea of pregnancy you know that the word would impregnate us fully so it's more like mary at the annunciation receiving christ into her life so that she could then give birth to christ and she could then um he he could then be the point of salvation but she needed to receive him fully in order to bear him and give him and bernard says as well as don't think so much of being at the channel or the hose pipe as being more like a reservoir in other words god wants to fill you with his love and his grace and for you to overflow into the lives of others and for your catechesis to flow from your life in other words he wants to give you his wisdom so that the wisdom comes through you um, you mentioned one of the books which i have recommended which is um, theology and sanity by frank sheed i'll just give you a phrase from that frank sheed always used to give um, and it shows you how practical this method this does become a method he says when you give a doctrine always give it attached to yourself um, now what you might translate that as saying is when you teach somebody something give them a story with it um give it to them as a piece of wisdom which you've learned uh which one of the saints of god maybe has learned give it to them maybe you learnt it in places which make you look foolish and you can give some wonderful story against yourself of how you'd neglected this truth and you know you suddenly came to realize it but give this doctrine as something so people can see that you yourself have learned it because and this is sorry i'm just quoting people but paul the sixth p if modern man listens to teachers it's because those teachers are witnesses and he listens to teachers in as far as they are witnesses and what he means by that is that you're somebody who can speak about the truths you're giving as real things which you yourself have come to understand love and accept and live by that means that when you give it to the children because you know what it means for your own life you can explain it better uh, you can share it better you know actually what it means because in the end p 
people receive catechesis only to the extent that they can see the point of it for their lives. And the, the way they see the point of it is it's shared by somebody who can see the point of it. So without that, it becomes a series, if you like, where, of ideas and the child or the adult receiving it feels I'm being asked to build maybe some wonderful and awe-inspiring edifice, but I don't quite know why I'm building it. And I don't know whether this is more like a kind of a church I could live in, which is maybe the image we want to give people. You're trying to help the child or the adult learn that the doctrines of the faith are a wonderful home, which is going to become their dwelling place. And for that, it has to be given in that kind of way. So the principle, the books I think are valuable for us are those which give that message. Um, they give the message that there's an unavoidable level of personal assimilation of the teaching that must take place. And that if you like, let's just think of something like John 15, you know, remaining in the vine. We are going to bear fruit if we remain in the vine. We're going to catechize if we do. The fruit doesn't always have to think, gosh, it's my turn to bear fruit now. I need to bring a bit of catechesis out. John Paul says if we catechize truly, we do so to the extent to which Christ catechizes in and through us. So our main role, funnily enough, is to come close to Christ, to learn his doctrine ourselves, to be converted ourselves and then to live that out and that will be the main point of reference for anybody receiving the faith will become lives of people to whom teaching is attached i don't know if that's an answer it's not that there aren't good techniques but no, no. it's it's secondary they're secondary yes. that's what i say they're secondary to that um yeah and why have you not included the general director of catechesis currently in its third edition? Oh, well, the selection of which um, the selection of which books is very, very hard. And that is a wonderful. So you've mentioned um, in 2020, the church brought out the third of its directories for catechesis, which provides us with the principles for how to catechize. Um, and it is a, a very impressive, well-organized and beautiful summation of the faith. Um, and if I didn't mention that, it's partly because there were too few books I was allowed to select. But it's it's a it's a fantastic one but it, it if you like the church's magisterial it's a tradition on catechesis since the council has been very impressive and very inspiring and this directory stands in that tradition uh, and should receive definitely an honorable mention here obviously the church today should follow the example of the fathers when it comes to catechesis the church fathers have left many examples of their own catechesis, the St. Clement of Jerusalem's catechetical lectures, 
the St. Augustine's on the catechizing of the uninstructed, the catechizandis rudibus. Why have you settled on the pedagogus or Christ the educator, in which the ecclesiastical writer Clement of Alexandria explains how Christ molds our character whenever we follow the Lord's moral teaching? So, again, Father, thank you, for first of all, for mentioning Augustine, Cyril, um, what's often called the golden age of catechesis. Uh, some of these writers in that period, um, end of the fourth century, beginning of the fifth century, we've got just magnificent works, Ambrose, Augustine, Cyril, Theodore, <coughs> of catechesis, to which we, we need to turn. I chose one. Um, it's called, as you say, the Pedagogos or Christ the Educator um, by Clement of Alexandria, partly because I just love it, um, partly because it's the oldest treatise we've got on how the church um, took seriously the work of formation. So this is, we're talking about the end of the second century. Uh, in Alexandria in Egypt and Christ the educator um, has as its theme that in order to receive Christ saving truth we must be healed um, so its main theme is we need to be persuaded first of all which is like this idea of the charisma we need to be and he wrote a book about that before this this book um, which was we need to be exhorted to come to Christ. But before we can really receive that saving doctrine, there is a training and a formation has to take place in our life. And he says, before Christ can become a teacher in our lives, he has to heal us in terms of our passions, of our will, of our emotions. Because, um, if you like, only a sane person can see the good of the teaching that is to be received. And there's so much in our lives that's disordered, that's unruly, that needs um, restructuring, reshaping, that needs the work of grace. That he places this first and he says, before Christ becomes your teacher, he must become your pedagogue. Um, and he uses a word there from the ancient world of um, somebody we would think of. So back in England, we'd call that person, if you like, a personal tutor. Um, and so rather than being so the tutor in the ancient world would be somebody who lived in the household with the parents and had the responsibility of raising the child well by attending to their character, their virtues and so on, and would have the responsibility of overseeing the education that they were to be given uh, and also take them to good teachers. And by calling Christ um, the pedagogue or the, the tutor in this way and saying that this comes first, we're giving a primacy again to this idea of Christ shaping our lives and forming us and saying, look, that's the work he must do in our lives. So often we think, I'm not sure I understand what you're saying, but the understanding is often on the level of my life can't yet understand this. I don't know how to understand. Only he who loses his life will gain it. 
I mean, what does that what does that mean? I don't understand it because maybe I have no experience of that. I've never been in a position of having lost something and gained something in my life. Maybe I, I've never really experienced what it's like to have a little bit of yeast into the leaven and seen something rise. Maybe I, I can see the image, but I've never seen that happen, the hiddenness of the gospel life and how it works in life. So there's a need for Christ to form us well so that we can walk through the series of exercises Christ gives us in our lives so that we can then receive his teaching. And again, this is the pedagogue would have lived in the household in the ancient world. And again, this helps us remember the primacy of the family, that parents know their children and what they need and what they need to learn and what training they need to be given so that they can receive the faith well. So for me, for all those reasons, I love Clements. It's very, very practical. There are chapters there on how do you sleep well? Um, how do you eat well? What sort of footwear do you have? You know, he's thinking about all the details of somebody's life uh, and how every bit of our life and how we practice different disciplines in life is going to be important for learning the faith in due course. So I like the way he's put everything together for us like that and that we see such an early witness in the church to the seriousness of the unity of doctrine and discipline, which I think is always in danger of coming unstitched. You know, that the, the work yes. of churches. Yeah, so that's, so that's why I chose that. Thank you for listening. To read or listen to the rest of this interview and gain full access to our archive, visit fivebooksforcatholics.com and become a premium subscriber. If you've enjoyed this episode, Please subscribe to the podcast and give it a top rating on the platform of your choice. That way more people can discover it. You can also support the podcast and help us produce more interviews like this one by making a one-off donation via the link given in the show notes. As little as one dollar, one pound or one Europe can help and will be greatly appreciated. Thank you once again and God bless.